0: Go to Shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom.
1: This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club, and this is your show.
2: For the third time in four years, Manchester City are champions of the Premier League. If you thought that winning would ever start to get boring, then Sean Goethe has something to say about that. I'll tell you what's
3: happening. It's Friday, they what? Champions again! It's Friday, they what? Champions again!
2: Yeah, but in all seriousness, this title has been on the cards for a while now, so you can understand Guardiola feeling like he does. Relief.
4: Incredible. Happy for, for many, many people. So it's a massive achievement for the massive contenders and opponents we had. And the
2: captain, Fernandinho, was able to sum up how we're all feeling today too.
5: It's a really special moment, I think. Uh, the sensation is is really nice. So welcome to this week's
2: Blue Moon podcast, where we're going to reflect on how City have won their latest top flight title and what it means for the club, the manager, the players and the fans. I'm David Mooney. With me this week, I've got two fans in the shape of StatCity.co.uk's Adam Carter. Hello. And Kieran
3: Murray. Hello. Uh, How are you both feeling? Kieran, how are you feeling? Buzzing. Brilliant. Yeah, great. Um, Champions again. Can't complain about that, can you? Yeah, I'm grand.
2: Lovely stuff. Adam, I assume you echo all those sentiments. Yeah, ecstatic.
6: Um, We got there in the end. It was looking like it was going to be a stutter, but we smashed it in the end, really, when you look back.
2: Yeah, Uh, well, it's it it felt like it has taken forever, uh, like like we were saying at the the start of the show there, Adam. Uh, But it is confirmed now. Um, We, how were you feeling as the weeks went by, where the gap was, uh, the 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 the, the points that City needed was was dropping and dropping and dropping, and yet they always felt like they weren't quite getting over the line.
6: Yeah I right. I started on Twitter referring to it as like a match point situation <clears throat> and then it'd go back to juice and then we'd get another match point and we'd have another yeah. bite of the cherry. Um I think the Liverpool United game um, being postponed didn't help things and didn't help our rhythm because I think Liverpool would have done United and that would have handed it to us that way. Um and it it kept we almost did our bit by beating Crystal Palace. And then the United game didn't happen. And then we lost to Chelsea, so it knocked us back a bit. Um, and then United had three games before we were next going to play. So it, 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 there was all these factors that were like, it was one, one step forward, two steps back. And having been in such a commanding lead for so long, it was then kind of a weird end to to, to how it culminated. But buzzing, absolutely buzzing. And, and now I can sit here and we've done it. Like I say, it was never in doubt, really. It was just kind of um, when, not if.
2: Yeah, Kieran, were we, you ever disappointed that uh, City didn't do it themselves, or do you just not care?
3: Um, I was disappointed, I think, on Saturday, yeah, but uh, it didn't take long for that to to sort of dissipate, really. Mm. Um, I suppose the thing that I really... Like, obviously, winning the league's amazing, and it's so special, and it's special every single time, um, and, like, it's everything, isn't it? It's triumph, it's celebration, it's, being, it's, like, the buzz with your mates, it's the bragging rights, it's all that, but a lot of it is just putting that little bit of niggling anxiety to bed and you know just getting it confirmed and getting it over the line just just there's a tiny little bit in the back of your mind that thinks oh my god could this go wrong or can i just can i just mentally clock out of this a little bit so I can think on other things, like the Champions League final, for example. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was it was disappointing a little bit, and I think the manner of it, which um, I'm, I'm sure we're going to talk about, but um, yeah, it was a little bit disappointing on Saturday evening. But at the end of the day, it's it's fine now. Um, yeah, and I'm dead dead happy.
2: I just realized as well Kieran I said there that that uh, City didn't do it themselves but of course they did do it themselves didn't they because they've got themselves into a position where United couldn't keep up so it, even though it was on a on a United result that City actually won the title the title is a one on one
3: game it's been one on the on the last what six months or so yeah um was it might have been you Adam who asked me the other night yeah. on Twitter yeah. when when mm. I felt that the league yeah. was won um and it was said interesting, actually, because a few people chipped in and, and, and gave, their, uh, gave their responses to that. And Dan Burke was saying it was Anfield. Once we won there, he felt that it was over. Um, but I kind of look back and, on the, my phone on the fixtures to see what, when it was that I felt that we were out of the woods. Um, and when you, when you look at February and the fixtures that we had in February, that we just, like, won all of them. We had, um, we had Liverpool. We had Arsenal. We had Everton. We had West Ham. Um, I was to say, with Spurs yeah. in there as well, yeah. yeah. Um, plus jugg- juggling like other competitions at the same time. And we just sailed through all those. And yeah, um, and interestingly, actually, it, it, I, I think it's quite fitting that we won through a Leicester result. Because I do feel that the Leicester result earlier in the season really changed the shape of this season. Um, I thought getting absolutely ripped apart by Leicester and losing 5 2 and Pep's biggest ever home league defeat um and just seeing what could happen and what this how this mad season was going to shape up, I think he kind of put the shackles on a little bit and really, really tried to sort out the defence after that. And yeah, and then also I have to say that I think the Leicester victory recently, the 2-0 um at um Philford Street, Phil, I was going to call it. Um, <laughs> Stopping that for a while. Uh, what is the King it called? Power. The King Power, the King Power. That 2-0 victory, I think that I also felt that that quite cemented um, this league title this year as well. I thought that was a nervy victory that w- that was glad to get out of the woods from. And and, and yeah, yeah, to answer your question, David, uh, it did feel like a long time coming and um, it was nice to just have it mathematically confirmed, really, so you can, as I say, clock out
2: yeah adam the the other game that I always think of in this season as a as a turning point is uh the one all with West Brom in december um city went on the winning streak after that game but i remember I remember thinking when was it Gundogan who missed right at the death I remember thinking if he'd scored that and they'd won it two one that everybody would be talking about how that's what great teams do but ultimately i thought like they got what they deserved out of that game because they were shockingly bad they they just didn't create anything until until the 91st minute or whatever and i yeah. remember thinking that was the point at which guardiola needs to he needs to change something and you know he did didn't
6: he yeah is that is that the game where he famously since said that he didn't recognize his own team
2: yeah um,
6: mm. at that game and that's the game that i believe fernandinho Took matters into his own hands and held crisis talks um, in the in the background, and I think that was a culmination of everything. The season had been, you know, stagnating around that time. There's been a couple of good, a couple of wins, but mainly in the Champions League, uh, which. You know, it was a Jekyll and Hyde her performance to our league form, and then that West Brom game, we didn't do, we didn't turn up until like you say, the 85th minute onwards, and then we just peppered Sam Johnson's goal, and he did really well uh, in net, it must be said. But uh, everything, we just, he just was magnetic that night, uh, but it was too little, too late. And I, I remember I was, and we've we've done a bad take amnesty since then, and please go and check it out in the archives if you've not listened to it, <laughs> um, where. That was the the time of the season where I was comparing our performance to recent seasons at that point, and it was you know it was really bad form for, certainly for a Guardiola City side, and then then it's been onwards and upwards since then. So that is definitely the pinnacle, the pivotal moment. Yeah. Um. Um. But but yeah, it it was looking really bad at that point, and to see the position we're in now, it, it what a turnaround that
2: is. Yeah, I want to talk about Guardiola in a second, but first let's hear uh, what the manager said about uh, the title win to City TV uh, as soon as it was confirmed.
4: Relief, uh, incredible, uh, happy for, for many, many people, so it's a massive achievement for the massive contenders and opponents we had uh, in this, this league, in difficult lockdown and for everyone knows, so yeah, incredible, satisfied.
3: Like you were saying there, the
5: season has been like no other season that anyone's experienced. The schedule has been grueling and the Covid restrictions have made things all complicated everywhere. How have the players been so consistent
2: in that context?
4: Yeah, every day. So the league is every day. So in caps, uh, Cups, in knockout games, everything can happen. But the league is every day, every day, and we did it incredible. So I think everything started the night in December when we won in, in, uh, in Southampton until 7th of March when we lost against United. So that period, so 19 December, 7 of March, we won, we won uh, absolutely everything, all the games, and that make us, you know, the Premier League be possible.
5: There seems to be a real togetherness in the squad, teamwork across the whole squad. How proud
6: are you of the way they behave and they apply themselves every single day?
4: Well, not just the players, everyone. So here, normally the focus are the manager, the, press. It's the manager in the press conference and the players on the pitch, but there are a thousand, thousand, people working behind the scenes, like made this possible. So so the Premier League is so nice, so win the title, the Premier League, always I said, is the most important thing because every three days and every 10 months, 11 months, fighting for the, you know, the big, big, big teams against, you know, uh, uh, teams that maybe they are not fight for, uh, you know, to win the Premier League, but they are so complicated to beat them. So. And we were there. So the achievement, so I think it's this decade. So then 10 years Manchester City won five times, you know, the Premier League. This is the, I think resume, I think everything what this club uh, has done in the last, yeah, 10 years. Since uh, uh, Sheikh Mansour took over the club, Haldun as uh, our chairman, leading, leading the rest of the people and we did it. So, so big compliment for everyone.
5: Like you're alluding to there, that's three Premier League titles in four years. It's not often teams in England show that kind of
2: consistency over such a long period. That must make you proud.
4: Yeah, we are part of the, I'm pretty sure, Manchester City in these ten years. Like I remember many, many players, many managers that create this kind, this kind of thing for, uh, yeah, it's part of that. So, yeah, when we achieve five Premier Leagues in this, the most toughest, I've been in Spain, I've been in Germany, and I can say this is the toughest one. This is the toughest league I would say by far, and uh, for many, many reasons, and achieve five uh, five Premier Leagues in 10 years means means a lot for this organisation. So from the most important guy since the, you know, the the less recognized uh, guy externally, so a big, big compliment.
1: This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Facebook.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.
2: Guardiola there talking about the title win. I mean, it's it's an interesting kind of uh, last couple of questions there, Adam, I thought, because um, he is only the, the third manager in Premier League history. So that's, that's like since 1992. It's a good chunk of time now um, to win a title and then reinvent his team to win, to win back a title after having lost it. Um, it's not an easy thing to do, is it?
6: no and i think he had a real awakening going back to that west brom game that you say and the you know he his legacy was like you know teetering at that point it was quite easy to just you know comment and say that the chips were down was it time for a change um i think even Caldoun and pep met uh going off some articles this morning and you know they they had a frank conversation of whether Is it the right thing to do? Has he got the appetite to go again? And of course, we now know that he did. I think that contract renewal was vital to him cementing his legacy. And this season, he's answered all the critics and then some. We've reached our first Champions League final. Um, We've played some solid football in difficult circumstances. And he's answered all the critics now, you're going to get trolls on on the internet, who don't know anything, who still try and raise his his bar. It's as if Guardiola has to meet a, a higher bar than anyone else, and the money is thrown about the money argument. But he's he is, if not the greatest, one of the greatest we've seen. Yeah, it, 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 on, on these shores.
2: The thing I always say about the money argument is: uh, Mancini had money, Pellegrini had money. They've not done what Guardiola did, so. Like it's it, it, you just you just have to respect the man and it, it, it's weird, isn't it, Kieran? Because he could end up uh, if all thing if all things go to plan this season, you know, we will walk away with the Premier League title, the Carabao Cup again, and uh, the Champions League if they go on to win the final. He could win all of that and still not be considered a great manager because he's never done it at Barnsley. Do you know what I mean? It's, that's madness. <laughs> it
3: is madness. It is madness. Yeah. Uh, do you know what? I think he's actually rose really well to the questions about the finances this year. Um, and he's met that criticism head on, he, more more than ever this year. I've noticed him. He'll say, "It is money. It is great players. I need great players to be good." And he's done this weird reverse psychology thing where he's like, "Yeah, I'm taking the shine off me, and I'm saying that I do have great players to work with." And yeah, it's, te- Teflon it's, Pep, nothing sticks. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um. One thing. Yeah. One thing. This year, I think he's done really well. He's his even his interviews and his press conferences and stuff seem more level-headed and a bit more, I, I don't think there were in November time when he was, you know, a proper grudge, but um something, whatever clicked this year, it's a sort of zen pep, but, you know, like, I think this year he's just, he's seen everything a little bit wider, and I think he really needs credit for his kind of medium and long-term planning for this season nothing he, he talked about it being next game next game next game but i think actually there was a long-term vision from very early on in the season even i think going back to leicester um but if he was to look at the spurs united result, the liverpool villa result kind of see what was going on and go right we are going to win this league on our defense yeah. and yeah. we're gonna we're gonna tighten up we're gonna batten down the hatches that way um, i think he saw he had real foresight this year, more so than perhaps any other manager, and you know, planned for the medium to long term. And we're unbel- like reaping unbelievable rewards now because we're we've won two and we're in contention for the big one too. So um, yeah, I think massively full credit to Pep. And do you know, some of us haven't always been his biggest fan because some of the decisions he makes are kind of mad sometimes. Um, and last season was was pretty bad, and the start of this season was pretty bad. So a few people were you know, um, very in a knee jerk fashion, ready to wash their hands of him a little bit. But do you know, this is the first time he's ever reclaimed a title that he lost. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that, that's the that thing isn't
2: yeah. it that, that's the thing when you look at his legacy and that's that's what I'm I'm most happy with with this title as well is that it, it almost cements this era in the Premier League as Guardiola's era whatever happens from here on in because like you say Kieran there was the opportunity at the end of uh, last season especially where you know things had fizzled out they, they'd won the Carabao Cup again but it, it like the season hadn't really gone as planned um liverpool had been phenomenal for a couple of years they'd won the premier league they'd won the champions league the year before that and people were there was almost this clamor to 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 make this a a pep versus klopp thing and klopp had won out because because his legacy had, had kind of lasted longer sort of thing um and now adam there's absolutely no question is there because guardiola won you know 100 points uh, won the title 98 points won the title and now has reinvented a team to take that title back. You know, he looked burnt out in November. He's seen off Liverpool to make this kind of his era at uh, in the Premier League. And, you know, this isn't even City firing on, all, firing on all cylinders this season. They've played most of the season without a centre-forward. They can improve this team. So like, th- th- there's even more to come, possibly.
6: Yeah, this is Pep 2.0 now. Um, Sam Lee's uh, made a good few articles this season about how when we concede we don't concede two and three in quick succession pep has almost changed his philosophy from all-out attack to actually controlling and to slowing down attacks and just controlling the game and strangling the game and you know bringing people in like diaz who can just you know oud, you know calmness on the ball and then that filters through the team this is why i refer it to as pep 2.0 Um, you know it's a different pep that we're seeing he's reinvented himself like you say he's reinvented his team he's gone again Ferguson was famous for reinventing United teams over the years and that's what you need to be considered a great and now he's he's untouchable now he's had version one which was fantastic and is up there on its pedestal on its own as some of the best football we've ever seen I think the football was actually more exciting but this one wins you more titles gets you to more Champions League finals and keeps you in the game for longer and we, we we rarely make silly mistakes, and if we do, we
2: rarely make two. He's been patched, is what you're saying.
0: <laughs> exactly, he's having an yeah. upgrade. Yeah. Selling a little, or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere.
2: Let's pivot away from from Guardiola though, Kieran, because uh, for the fans as well to win the title this season is uh, it's, a, it's a really nice way to to kind of almost be reinvited back into football because we haven't been able to go to games. You know, Manchester has been in in lockdown. You know, only Leicester in the UK has been in in a lockdown for longer than Manchester. Um, yeah. There's been no point this season where City fans have been able to go to games up until the cup final. Yeah. Um, the pressures have been different with with COVID and and the restrictions around the team, and you know we've all had to watch on TV from home, and it's felt it, it didn't feel right to start with when things were, were restarted, and then it, it very quickly became the right thing to do, and it very quickly became you know the, the thoughts about how the season was progressing became um, like switched very quickly, and suddenly for City and um, for for City fans. You know, we've we've been able to enjoy it more than everybody else because of the fact that that city have just put in this almost unprecedented season.
3: Yeah, I mean, I've said on this podcast before, like this, this nothing is real at the moment in football in the world. You know, it it, it feels like we're living in a mad sort of upside down land, and it to, to me it was quite fitting actually that. I was stirring my meatballs and pasta on Tuesday night at 10 to eight when we won the league, you know, like <laughs> it, that that seemed more fitting to this premier league season than winning at the Arihad with Aguero scoring the winner. Do you know what I mean? Um it's just, it has been a bit, it has been so, so strange. Um, I, like I'm really lucky. I'm a season ticket holder. Um, I've met loads and loads of friends. I'm obviously not a Manchester native, and I've met loads of friends through city and through Twitter and through all that. And I get to go with those and, and see those people all the time. And I feel properly like welcomed into the city community. I'm kind of emotional, weirdly, um, <laughs> and yeah. And it's been missing, like, hasn't it? Seen, We've all missed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I haven't seen all those friends uh, in so so long. And it has been kind of like WhatsApp groups and Twitter and kind of like everybody watching along at a different time sometimes you even put the time that you're on into the whatsapp group to make sure you're up the same level like um and yeah it's 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 been it's been really really unreal and a real challenge to kind of watch on your own on a laptop when you're you know you're a minute and a half behind and it's just been odd and for lots and lots of fans and I, i i live in liverpool and like lots of lots of reds lots of liverpool fans have I've switched off and fallen out of love with the game all of a sudden. Um, funny, that. <laughs> but yeah, really funny. But actually, in a weird way, I, I sort of I sort of feel sorry for them a little tiny bit because we've, we've kept, City have kept us going this year, um, mm-hmm. basically from the turn of the year, really. And the football's been brilliant and the results have been brilliant. And at the time when you kind of do need to pick me up, you know, from February onwards, we looked as if we were going to win the league, and we were in the Carabao Final, and we were storming mm. through the Champions League pretty well too. And it was like, this is actually something that's keeping me perky and keeping me yeah. up. Um, yeah. Whereas for other fans, you imagine—I'm not just talking to Liverpool fans here, but like for other fans of clubs who aren't doing so well, who can't get to the game, who are missing the camaraderie, mm. and then they have the drudgery of of a shit season as well. Um, and <laughs> we've been—I re- mean, we've been lucky for years now, but we've been particularly lucky this year when when there hasn't been much else great to write home about really
2: yeah the the other one adam is uh, when you look at, uh, at, at kind of how things switched as well um, we were all feeling like that. I, I remember feeling, in, especially for the Champions League group games, OK, City sailed through the Champions League group, but I didn't think the games were especially easy to watch. I remember thinking sometimes, oh, God, there's another game tonight. <laughs> and I really, honestly, I, I don't really want to watch it. I'd rather just do <laughs> it. I'd, I'd rather just relax, you know. And then, you know, switch to February, as Kieran says, and suddenly I can't wait for the next game to be on telly and can't wait for the next game because things had just, it, it was that pick-me-up, wasn't it?
6: Yeah, to spe- hearing you two speak about that then has made me realise. Looking back, it's getting quite emotional here. You know how how much of a pick me up and a you know dragging you through the mundane of, of lockdown. You've got these games to look forward to, and they did come thick and fast. And we kept that winning run going. And I, I, to be fair, I've selfishly not thought of how other people who don't have that kind of Uh, something to look forward to during these times, have coped. And I think we've been so lucky uh, as fans to witness this title charge. Um, And, you know, we we owe some thanks. It is an entertainment product at the end of the day. You know, we're we're invested more than just um, casually with with, with this team and and this club. And, you know, they've delivered for us in in weird circumstances, in difficult circumstances. And I think I think I, I said halfway through the season, I said, It might not be the most impressive title win that that we've won, but it's the most important and, you know, barring the first one, which will never be topped. I think, you know, just hearing you guys speak and and me just giving my own thoughts to it, I've just realised how this was the important title.
3: We kind of nearly lost them as well, didn't we? You know, there was a couple of weeks or a couple of days, I should say, where the the European Super League looked set Mm. to threaten the, the very existence of city mm. as we knew it um and like th- so for that to kind of turn around and then you know a couple of weeks later to win the league it all it all just sort of fell into place a little bit and you know I was really really worried that we were gonna lose what we love what we've grown up with like what kind of um what means everything to us and and you know mm. and all of a sudden you kind of go right we're we can, you know, we can bring bring our kids into the world as blues again, and you know there is there is the future is blue, um, and you know for a for a while the very existence of the club was kind of doomed. Yeah,
2: well let's uh, before we we are going to have to talk about that Chelsea game in a few minutes, chap. So I'm sorry about that, but before we do, uh, let's get uh, Fernandinho's reaction on winning the title to uh, City TV. This is what he had to say:
5: It's a really special moment. I think uh, the sensation is is really nice." So. To be Premier League champions again is something special, you know. There's a big team behind the team, you know. Maybe people don't don't realize the hard work has been, you know, has been made behind the scenes to make the team inside the pitch to perform well and to to play well during the games. Each day, you know, all the people working at the CFA, all the people working in the stadium, uh, all the people working behind. They they, they start eleven has been amazing. They have done an amazing job, and I think that's why our team has been consistent over the last eight nine years, and because I ha- we have uh, amazing human beings working for you know for Manchester City and uh, working off the pitch as well. So we can say that all the work they have they have been done reflect. On the pitch, and we are so glad for that.
1: Get involved with the debate on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast.
2: Fernandinho speaking to City TV. Um, let's look at that uh, that Chelsea game now because um, the, the the more time has gone on, Adam, and the more uh, and the fact that City have won the league in the in the interim between that game finishing and this podcast starting, um, I suddenly don't feel that angry about the about the selection anymore, um, and I, I'm a lot more reasoned with it. You know what I mean? I, c- I can see a lot yeah. more now why Guardiola did it.
6: Yeah, definitely. Um, at the time, I was furious. I mean, we're being spoiled now. We're demanding to win the league as soon as possible because it was going to happen. But I'm a big believer, and this is me not having any, you know, background information to how the players are feeling, how they're performing, how the fitness levels are. I'm a big fan of put your best 11 out first, win the game and then rest them, rather than having to bring people on to chase a game that hasn't gone your way. So I wanted to get the game done, I wanted to lay down a marker ahead of the Champions League final because we knew who we were going to play I don't think it's going to have that much of a bearing in that game to be honest now I'm seeing the wider picture and I've calmed down but I was frustrated with the selection We'd seen what had happened when we'd put lesser teams out against Chelsea in the semi-final of the FA Cup and Leeds a couple of weeks ago um, The our strength in depth is a bit of a myth when you look at our, what I would perceive to be called our second team I think we've got a, the best first 11 and that will beat anyone on its day I think the second team leaves a bit to be desired and I tweeted and a few people agreed that I I said no one's second team wins a Premier League fixture and I believe that. It's such a competitive league that if you take your foot off the gas and just knock it down a touch you're going to be hard-pressed to get a victory in the league. So I I don't know what Pep was thinking. I'm not privy to, like I say, the fitness levels, the fatigue levels, the mental levels of his team, what he thought. We know Pep's got a a, a streak in him where he tries different things and he's got his reasons for that. But as a fan, as a pure wanting us to win the title as soon as possible, furious.
2: Well, I'm going to get into the the other part of this in a second, Kieran. So bear with me on that because I'm going to turn to you for this one. But uh, Adam, I just want to pick you up on something there because Mm. um, I actually disagree with you. Because, I mean, first off, I don't think that was... I don't think that City... <laughs> I, don't th- I, I don't think that's City's uh, second 11, if you know what I mean. I think they're just the mm. players that are currently out of form. And I think they're all players that could play in City's strongest 11 when they're in form. And I think the mm. difference is that when you put 11 players who are out of form together, it gets a bit disjointed and things don't really work out. But. Mm. You know they should have been two 0 up had Aguero scored his penalty, and then there was the non penalty at the end when it was one all that they that they could have had and scored again, and then won the game. So hmm. they were like even with a even with a rotated out of form side, they were well in that game.
6: Yeah, I'm probably coupling it with the Leeds result and the Chelsea semi final result. So I'm judging it on that three game stretch. Yeah, if you look at the just the Chelsea game, I mean one benefit you've alluded to there almost is. You know, Chelsea have played what I would perceive as our second string twice, only beat us by one goal. And we could have had ample opportunities to to win it this weekend. So if if you look at it from that point of view, then yeah, we've not been monstered by any of these teams that were faced with our second string. Maybe I was a bit uh, hasty, and I'm, I'm I'm using a bit of recency bias because earlier in the season we were rotating, we were winning games. So there's just a, a bit of frustration creeping over. But we've certainly not been, you know, monstered by by Leeds or uh, Chelsea on the on the two occasions. I'll we'll give you that.
2: Yeah, I mean, the other side of it as well, Kieran, uh, I saw Sam Lee tweet today, actually, I'm not going to try and steal this point as my own, it's his, uh, <laughs> but he, he was rereading uh, Marty Perenau's book uh, mm-hmm. about uh, Guardiola, I think it was the second book, uh, and there's a line in there that says something along the lines of um, the best the, the best way to uh, to know how to deal with something is to experience it, and the one thing Chelsea haven't done under Tuchel, okay, they've got two wins against City so far, but they haven't experienced how they're going to play in the Champions League final. Tuchel's not an idiot. He knows how City are going to play in the final. He knows what sort of team he's going to to be up against, but he's got no lived experience of how to deal with it now until
3: the day. Yeah. You imagine De Bruyne and Mares, Bernie, Gundogan are just going to step onto the pitch and just be like, right, this is big boy shit now. And like, you know, kind of step aside, second string, we're going to show you how it's done kind of thing. That's that's a little bit of what I think the thinking is. Um, they look really good, Chelsea. Um, they, I think we've learned a lot more about them than they have about us. Um, they've put the ball in the net four times against us, but it's been disallowed for offside, so they've put the ball in the net four times illegally. But... It shows that they can get in behind, and it's fine margins. So I think we've learned a little bit there. Um, I always worry
2: about that argument, though, because it, of course it shows they can get in behind because they were offside.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's what I mean. They were illegally, but um, but as I say, like some of the times that like lines had to be drawn for the Hudson and Doyle one and things like that. You know, um, so I think we know a little bit more about their game plan than than they know about ours. I mean, I I, I heard you make this point the other day on on why always us about. Like Tuchel's going to do his research of watching hours and hours and hours and hours of tapes. I think it's going to be a very cagey affair, the Champions League final, because it's going to be two chronic overthinkers going toe to toe. But the one thing that City have over Chelsea is exactly what you just said, Sam Lee, like touched upon, is that the actual lived experience of playing a full strength team. Because remember, like the January game, I know they were under Lampard but did we have like only 14 players or something? Yeah. Um, did, did we, like we were a COVID-stricken stricken, mm. um team even then. So three times a season they've played us without actually, you know, all of our cards on the table kind of thing. Um. So, yeah, I. I, I and I mean, we'll be more fired up. It'll be the final. I think two defeats will probably sting Um. Guardiola and will sting the other players. And they'll rise to it. I mean, the, the the stakes are a lot higher. Some people thought the stakes were very high on Saturday, and that it was a very very important game. And I actually, do you know what? I didn't really agree with it, but I loved seeing, loved saying like anger and annoyance and frustration and disappointment because sometimes you kind of, sometimes defeats come along. And you're like, meh. You know, it's a little bit like. You Makes know, you able feel alive, it. and yeah, yeah, exactly. And seeing people, even though we're not at the ground, and even though the season feels a bit weird, and even though like the tech, the title was technically in the bag anyway, we needed, we we literally didn't need to do anything. As it turned out, you know, we just needed to watch United lose. Um it was great to see people still have yeah the heart and soul about this season to be angry about not winning on Saturday. It would have been nice to do it at home, um, against a big team, and it would have been nice to make maybe make a statement. Um, for the Champions League final but actually do you know what I'm fine the way it happened like
2: yeah. Uh, well, Tibbs has been in touch on Twitter to say, uh, do you think the loss to Chelsea at the weekend will help motivate the team not to lose three in a row to them? I wonder who was the last team that beat City three times in a row. And Adam, I asked you about this uh, over the week because I uh, I, I knew this was going to come up. Um, it's happened a couple of times. Well, it's happened once under Guardiola, hasn't it? Um, Liverpool three times in a row, but they were two Champions League legs included.
6: Um, yeah, and then you have to go back to Barcelona in 2016 for when it's happened previously. So it, there's, there's not many domestic uh, teams that do it over us. So if you're including Chelsea as a domestic opponent for the purposes of the, who we're facing the, in the final, the stats would lean on our, uh, on, on our side of the fence and not theirs. Yeah. Pep won't, won't get stung three times. I'm very confident of that.
0: Selling a little or a lot.
2: well, uh, he might not have got stung at all had Aguero put uh, the penalty in the back of the net. Uh, That missed penalty on Saturday was frustrating for a number of reasons. First, it meant that City didn't get a firm grip on a game that they went on to lose. Second, it means that he's still two Premier League goals away from breaking Wayne Rooney's record of the most strikes for a single club. And third, it means that City have now missed four or more penalties in the top flight in consecutive seasons, equaling a record set by Spurs in the mid 1990s. Over the years, on the podcast, we've spoken to City players about the pressures of taking penalties and I've been digging through the archives. Much was said after Sergio Aguero's penalty miss on Saturday. Fans were angry with the title on the line and City looking to take control of the match. The miss left Chelsea a chance to get back into the game after half-time. A chance they took. But afterwards, Pep Guardiola wasn't annoyed
4: with the striker. At least publicly, anyway. Listen, uh, he's selfish because he missed it. And he scored a goal and said, oh, how a genius it is. That's the reality. So always I said to the players in the penalties, take one decision. Paninka, right, left, short, whatever you want, but convinced. He was convinced to do this, miss it, miss it. He took the decision and that's all. So nobody expected, but he takes the decision, it's right, it's okay. If it's he was convinced, do it. So make your mind-
2: Quero though, felt the need to apologise, posting on social media saying it was a bad decision and he took full responsibility. City have been missing a lot lately. After years of confident takers like Yayatore Mario Balotelli or even Alano, it seems like confidence from 12 yards is currently on the floor. The stands was about half a mile away behind the goal, so literally when you put the ball down the spot and you looked up at the goal, the
6: goal looked tiny. It looked like a 5 side goal to me that's why I kept it hard and low. I would even look at the keeper, put the ball down, turn my back, walked out up to the 18-yard line, and
2: then lights like, when the whistle blew a turn, and I just knew I was going to pick my spot, and that's why I kept it hard and low, because literally the whole goal just shrunk. That's Terry Cook. He took and scored City's third penalty in the 1999 Division Two playoff final at Wembley. He explains how much pressure was on those kicks. Joe Raw before, before he actually went round and asked who wants to take a penalty, and I know some lads said they didn't want to take one, and he asked me, and straight away I just said
6: yes. But then thinking, okay, what have I just done? <laughs> it's like, oh my God, I've just said yes. But I just knew like, I had a responsibility of taking one. I didn't think
2: twice of it. That's when the nerves did settle in. All game, I wasn't nervous at all.
1: I get a little bit nervous you.
2: Nerves can play a big part when the ball goes down on the spot. Richard Edgell had never scored for City when he volunteered to take a kick in that shootout.
3: The week after the Wigan game, we probably decided that week, and Joe
7: just come to me and said, Would you would you be willing to take one? And I said, Yeah, I had the confidence in, in training, I'd not really missed too many. And I'd always gone the same way, and the keeper just couldn't seem to save him, so. I did
3: have the confidence to take one and knew that if it went to panels I'd be taking one and then it was only after the extra time had finished that it dawned on me and I thought is, I'm actually going to have to stand the go and take one. Did you mean to get that close to the ball? Yeah. No I didn't, uh, but like I said I practiced the same way every, every time and I'd gone that, that side of the goalkeeper and I'd always gone sort of middle of the goal. Um, So when I think Nerves had played a big part in it, I think I put the ball down and stepped back and felt really nervous.
2: Now it's clear Aguero's miss on Saturday wasn't down to Nerves. Let's be honest, if you're nervous, you don't try a cheeky chip down the middle. But with the sheer number of missed penalties City have had in the last 18 months or so, maybe the weight of converting from the spot is on the players' minds. Sometimes overthinking the shots can be the problem. Michael Ball never took a penalty for City, but he did miss one against them for Everton. He explains why.
6: Me and Nicky Weaver were away on England duty, uh, maybe just a week, a couple of weeks beforehand. After training, I always like to practice my me, me penalties and free kicks and, and I, get the, I tell the keeper where I'm going, just to make sure I can get the, the right power and the, the right ac- accuracy. So then when we played against each other, put the ball down, knowing where I was going, and I looked up and realised it was Nicky and I was thinking, oh no, he knows where I'm going. He <laughs> you knows where my favourite way is, and I changed my mind and went, which is not supposed to. I went the other way. He saved it. After the game, I said to Nicky, "Like, why did you go that way?" And he said, "Oh, I don't know." And it was me overthinking the whole process of it
2: all. Back in 1999, Sean Gota should have taken City's fifth penalty against Gillingham, but the shootout was already won by then. Penalties for me is a situation that it's who wants it on the
3: day. Who's brave? Who's brave enough on the day? You look around and you and the manager that time says, you know, I need I need brave players. Who wants to take a penalty? And you can tell those who don't want because straight away they're right there, close close to the gap and they're looking him in the eyes, and all of a sudden they just turn around. and It's like I, I know you're not talking to me, but I wasn't scared not to take one, and so therefore I said, yeah, um, I'll, I'll take one.
4: What's wrong with being, what's wrong with being, what's
5: wrong with being confident?
2: Uh-huh. Gerard Wieckins admits to being one of the
4: players who opted out. I was one of the, of the uh, penalty takers who, who scored a lot in training. But I remember that I uh, they had to take them uh, with my old club in Holland. And I, I, it was very difficult for me because I think I, I, I missed half of them. So I, I wasn't feeling confident. And, uh, and they asked me to uh, if, if I wanted to take a penalty and I said, no, if I don't have to, rather not.
2: Kevin Horlock converted the first penalty of that shootout. He thinks it's all about confidence. I think penalties are important that whoever takes them, they've got to want to take it. it, it you, you
6: can't really have someone going up if they're not sure about, if they're confident enough. And, and to be fair, I'd missed penalties. I, I think it says in the commentary, I'd missed the one before. So I wasn't no hot shot penalty taker, but I was confident enough, I, I was brave enough, I was one of the older players in the group.
2: Um, so yeah, I said, yeah, go on, I'll go on, I'll go up first. And Gota says Horlock was relaxed about it the night before, but in making jokes about how the game could go to penalties, he hit the nail on the head of why players can miss.
3: He will think about going to his left. He said, no, you will think about going to his right. He said, no, then. He'll think about going straight down in the middle. Adrian, he don't know where he'll end up going. <laughs> but he, was, he was a funny lad, but he, he talked
7: about it, described it that way, like, You've got five ideas in your mind, and when you go up, you're like, what am I going to (laughs) do?
2: So why does City keep missing from the spot? Judging by what previous penalty takers have said, it's probably down to a combination of pressure from City's recent record, a lack of confidence from 12 yards, and overthinking the situation. Whatever the issue is, City had better get it sorted and quickly, just in case there's the nightmare scenario of a shootout at the end of the Champions League final later this month.
7: Hi, I'm David James, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast.
1: Please support the show by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.
2: I'll look there at the pressures on City penalty takers. Um, Kieran, why... I mean, I know, I know none of us have stepped up in, in, in front of, you know... 50,000 fans and taking a penalty why is it yeah. so hard? It's a free
3: shot from the middle of the goal from 12 yards
2: why can't yeah, they do it? Well,
3: I, yeah I've got a bit of a take on this that I, that I spoke about the last time I was on or one of the previous times I was on where I think that C- City players struggle because we're such a team and it's such a network of pass, pass, pass and kind of um, when one of them is put on the spot in the spotlight in the limelight um, to step up and take it kind of goes against the ethos of the way we're built and the way we're set up, does that make sense? I yeah, I kind of get it. I'm just I'm just wondering though. In
2: in many ways, if maybe has it just got into the heads, Adam? Like it's become a thing.
6: Yeah, I, I think. Um you know, every time we get a penalty now, there's there's a joke on Twitter uh, when we complain about not getting a penalty. We'll say, "Well, we would have missed it anyway." So that if that's become a thing now, we've missed more penalties than anyone else this season. Uh, I was doing some work on the 15-16 um, season today, and Aguero missed plenty in that season as well. Um, so it's been this ongoing thing now, and the more you miss, the more of a bigger thing it becomes. I think it's certainly in the heads, which is kind of strange because in recent penalty shootouts, we've actually done okay. Yeah. Uh, but in, in one-off penalties within the games, it, it's a thing now. You can uh, you can pinpoint three or four penalty misses you, you know, off the top of your head, uh, and ha- when it becomes something that's that common, it's going to be in the head, and the next person that steps up to take a penalty, it will be in their head, no doubt about it.
3: I think Aguero had it in his head, though, that um, he wanted to leave the Premier League having scored a Penenka. Like, that's yeah. my theory. I think he had, <laughs> you know. He, he, but do you know what? I think, and I know we're not going to dwell on this too much because, as Mike Number 5 said, he doesn't need to apologise. He owes us absolutely nothing. And, sure, you know, absolutely. we're all over it. And Rodri made a massive mistake for the Chelsea goal as well. So, I mean, he's as much culpable for the for the defeat as Aguero is. But I, I just thought it was a bit strange and a bit, a, a bit kind of incongruous with the season it was a bit flashy and a bit limelighty and a bit self-indulgent to do to try a Panenka do you know um, and I would understand if we had a bit of if he had a bit, a bit of swagger about him or we were you know massively leading the game but you know with with sort of high stakes it seemed a little bit strange to do the Panenka Um I was watching behind on my Sky Go stream and all I saw throughout WhatsApp and Twitter was idiot, fucking idiot. What's going on, <laughs> Fucking idiot, idiot, idiot. And I was like, who? What's What's going to happen here? Because I didn't know why he was an idiot. And then I saw <laughs> it delayed them doing that, and I was just like, oh, you idiots. The,
2: the thing is, like, I, I'm perfectly fine with him trying trying a Penenka at that time because, like, if you're six nil up and you try a Penenka, then suddenly it sounds it looks like you're taking the piss. Whereas there, yeah. it's clearly he's, he's just gone for the goal. And obviously, Guardiola in that feature there said he wasn't. Uh, he, he'd made a decision. gone for it and like the thing with a Penenka is they look bad when they don't go in and that's it and it's like if if you're there's no difference between missing a Penenka really and just chipping it over the bar or skying it or you know popping it wide it's just you should score a penalty and he just hasn't I also wonder if if we're also at the stage now where where Tuchel maybe in the Champions League final might say to his players listen if they get in the box just bring them down whatever you do (laughs) just bring them down (laughs)
3: yeah yeah has anyone ever scored a Penenka against you David
2: um uh, no, I don't, I don't recall a Penenka against me, but then again, I generally just play five-a-side, so it's very hard to do with a one-step run-up and uh, a goal that doesn't come more than six inches off the floor. So, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, just before we move on from penalties, uh, I think this is an interesting hypothetical question now, and I do apologise for everybody who's who gets a little bit nervous around these sorts of things and is a little bit superstitious, but um, I want to know, if, if the Champions League final were to go to penalties, who would be your five takers? Kieran, I'll, I'll start with you.
3: Okay, um, I've got a rationale for all five as well. De Bruyne, um, just as a leader of men, go out there scored in Champions League last year as a penalty. He could do it. Mares, who's kind of got us to the final with those three goals against PSG over the two legs. Gundogan in the middle, a nice steady German, top scorer this season. He should he should score it. Foden, because it might go to him being to get the winner and imagine imagine Foden got the winning penalty, the fourth one, and then fifth, if it goes to the fifth, Edison.
2: Fair enough. Uh, I, I would like to point out that only Foden and Edison there have not missed from the spot for City. Uh, Adam, what yeah. are you doing? <laughs> oh, <shit>. um,
6: <laughs> mine were completely the same, but um, I was having Edison first. It's what we've all wanted. And yeah. if he makes a mess of it, then we've still got four penalties to hopefully recoup it. Uh, I don't think we'll see Edison take a penalty in normal time because of the risks of him having to run back. But um, we, we all want it. Peps um, alluded to it in the in the past. I, I mean, I don't know if there's an, a touch of arrogance if you do let your goalkeeper take it. Um, but you, you know, why not? Um, Edison Gundogan's taken one in the Champions League final before. Um, Mahrez okay. uh, stepped up in the knockout rounds and 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 did one. Um, you, you know. Kieran's alluded to the De Bruyne one against uh, Madrid last time out and then Foden to write his name in folklore. So I, hmm. I think that would be the five. Maybe not Edison. I think that's a bit of a fantastical one. But other than that, uh, I think they're a solid five. Even though I've, I've gone from saying we're rubbish at taking penalties to if it's a penalty shootout, we've got, we've suddenly got the five best penalty <laughs> <money> takers ever. <laughs> yeah, true.
2: <laughs> and, if, and, and if City were to get a penalty in normal time, would you who would you pick?
6: Oh. Kev. Mahrez.
2: Yeah. Ah, it's funny, I'd go folding, you know. He took a penalty mm-hmm. in the League Cup um, shootout, and it was really good. And I would uh, with Liverpool, and I'd, I'd, I'd back Foden all day long. But you know, here we are. Wow. We, we wouldn't be having this conversation if it wasn't a thing that City missed penalties, would it? Uh, sure. Right. So let's uh, let's have a look at the uh, the coming games. Uh, Newcastle and Brighton on the horizon. They mean absolutely nothing now because neither of those sides are, are able to go down. City are obviously confirmed champions. So, um, Kevin Boyle on Twitter has been in touch to ask, uh, how do the lineups change for the rest of the Premier League? Seems like a good balance of. Rent- of a regular 11 plus some out-of-form players. Uh, Kieran, what do you reckon?
3: Uh, yeah, that's it is really tough now. Um, I don't envy Guardiola, actually, at this stage. Uh, I think I would like to see Aguero get more minutes, maybe to atone for the weekend, and maybe, you know, I, I don't want his last kind of act to be that penalty miss. Uh, You know, it'll never, ever stand to his legacy or stand against him in anybody's mind ever. But just for him and just for a little bit of added kind of poetry and poignancy maybe, um, I would like Aguero to play and maybe get another couple of goals and and beat Rooney's record. I mean, what a legacy that would be. Um, Other than that, I think he needs to be careful with bringing players in and out. But he he wants, I, I suppose you want to cage your best players so they come out roaring a little bit for the final but you don't want the kind of ring rust setting in either Um so kind of half an hour 45 minutes uh here and there for some of the big players um, but kind of wrap them in cotton wool at the same time it would be nice see i'm you worry about players who are who are susceptible to injuries like gundawin or de bruyne um, perhaps, who, who, you know, who have had injuries in the past who would really, really worry you. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's done... I, I think he's done quite well, hasn't he, this year with getting everybody minutes. Um, so now that it's all wrapped up and it doesn't really matter and there's no such thing as a strong team or a weak team now, it's just like a rest team versus a get-the-finalists' minutes under-their-belt team. Um, yeah, so however he manages it, I'm sure I'm sure he'll do well. The only, the only biggest fear is... Um, a little bit of rustiness and the, the dread of somebody picking up an injury in a dead rubber—you know that's the fear, I suppose.
2: Yeah, it is the balance, isn't it, uh, Adam? Because it's they need momentum going into the final. You can't just rest all those players until the end of May—that's suicide going into the Champions League final. Because then they'll be rusty coming back. But equally, you can't play them for ninety minutes each week because you you want to make sure you want to give them the best chance of of not getting fatigued and not getting injuries.
6: Yeah, I think rhythm's the most the highest priority now in these in these dead rubber games. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a mixture. I don't think we're going to see the type of teams that we saw and that I've been much venting against the type of the Leeds and Chelsea performances. Um, he, I think he, I think, I personally think Pep's got his final team in mind. I think it'll be very similar to the setup and lineup we've seen against. Um, Dortmund and P- uh, Paris in the previous rounds, but I think he will like to use these games as an opportunity for those players who are out of form to play the way into form and to play the way into his into his thought process. You know, if Sterling could, you know, hit a rich vein of form for the next three games, or even Aguero, if he can show flashes of what he's capable of and redeem himself. Even though I agree with Kieran, he, d- he absolutely doesn't need to whatsoever. Yeah, I think his his apology was. Uh, Un- unnecessary blessing but i think yeah, mm. uh, the rhythms the the rhythm is the key now and just it'll be a, f- a 50-50 between the definite starters in the final and those who are trying to lay a claim to be in that final as well yeah
2: how does it feel Kieran to have the pressure off at this stage now it is it Long-way. nice, is it yeah. nice? Yeah. yeah it
3: is it's really nice um that, as I say, the, the kind of anxiety, as much as you just want to win for celebratory purposes and the and the buzz of it, a, a part of it is nipping any um, nipping any worries and niggles out of you because you can get a bit jittery, can't you? Yeah. Um So yeah, it's really nice. The only th- the only sad thing is, I'm pretty sure sh- sure that this is City's first Friday night Premier League game coming up, unless you know over festive season or whatever. So it would have been really nice to have watched if you know watch an interesting Friday night game. Um, you know, with a can of Guinness and kind of sit back and watch it and relax. And now you kind of you're a bit like, right? I might just watch Alan Partridge instead. Like, oh, you know, you don't you, really need to watch it. Like. Can, can you imagine having won the league on a Friday night? That'd be. I know. Yeah, I know. That's Mayhem. the one isn't it? Yeah. As, Adam, as bars start open again and stuff as well. Like, yeah. Wow, Imagine that, Adam.
2: The, the the thing is as well is um like these are dead rubber games now. It's all over for the season. I almost feel like I wish it was the Champions League final this weekend.
6: Yeah, I think um, we've got the momentum of. You know, the the euphoria of winning a league title, we could take that straight into the game. These other, these three games are almost in the way now. Um he's not gonna learn too much about how his squad plays. It's only the opportunity for people to hit a bit of form. Um and we are with every game that you play, you you run the risk of getting someone injured who you'd want to play in your final. So and just quickly going back to Kieran's point, we've played nine games on a Friday in the Premier League. The last one Chip. that wasn't in... The last one that wasn't in December was the 6th of April 2007 at home to Charlton Athletic
2: with Drew nil-nil. There's your that, Friday. That... Fucking um, hell. That, that, he's good, isn't
3: he, Kieran? That. Well, I just... I think that's taught me to never make spurious unfounded claims on the podcast again when I'm on with stat City.
2: <laughs> although,
3: although that does... that What was it? The 7th of
2: April, did you say, Adam? Uh, 6th of April 2007. That sounds awfully like it might be a Good Friday game when they used to play Good Friday, Easter Monday. Yeah, so, so. T-
6: you... You're right there, because the only other Fridays are April or December, so this will be the first one that is neither one of those kind of festive holidays or bank holidays, so yeah. you're so right. Yeah,
2: you, so you kind of right, Kieran, don't, so right. don't, do, don't yeah. do yourself down. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers, please. There we go. Uh, right, <laughs> well, it was another show uh, with no charity bet winners last week and it's leaving us with time running out to reach our target of our best ever season. So far, we're on £1,185 for the season. We're about £165 short from our total from 2016-17. That was Pep's first year in charge. Uh, we've got each a £10 correct score single from William Hill. The money is going to the Christie Cancer Hospital in Manchester and there's two games this week. So let's do this if we can. Kieran, uh, Newcastle,
3: What's your uh, what's your prediction? Well, City beating Newcastle 3-1 sounds like a, a roundabout score that we do quite often, but I'm sure Adam's going to tell me that that's never happened before. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah, if, 3-1. if you're right with 3-1, uh, that's 10 to one
2: and £100. Pounds. Uh, Adam, what are you having for this one? I'm going for 1-all. A real on the beach moment. A one all is uh, nine to one and ninety pounds if you're right. Uh, I've gone for two nil, uh, which is twenty four to five. and I had to get my calculator out for this one because uh, that's forty eight pounds if I'm right. So uh, there we go. Uh, the odds aren't out for the Brighton game yet, so uh, we'll have to you have to check our Twitter feed at Blue Moon Podcast uh, to get them when we do get them. Uh, Kieran, what are you having for that?
3: Two nil to City. Uh,
2: two nil to City, Adam. 3-1 city 3-1 city I am going to say that Brighton is on the beach both metaphorically and literally <laughs> uh, I'd say a 3-0 city win I've been waiting for that one all day uh, I thought about that this morning um, <laughs> you got to be 18 or over to gamble prices can change please gamble responsibly and you can find out more about responsible gambling by going to begambleaware.org <laughs>
1: And under every manager, just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk.
2: Time now to hear from Howard Hockin. He's talking about Pep Guardiola and why he's responsible, him alone responsible for this season's title win.
7: When a team wins a title, naturally everyone involved at the club deserves credit for the achievement, the manager, the team, the support staff, down to the cleaners and security guys. And rightly so, it's a team sport and a team effort is required for success, well beyond the visible team itself. And that visible team, those players, did us all proud under difficult circumstances. I found it utterly exhausting coping with this incessant parade of football over the past eight months, whilst sat on my couch. I can't begin to imagine how tough it was to actually have to play. But, despite all that, this one feels like Pep's personal triumph more than any other. And for me, this might be Pep's greatest triumph. Win the game at the end of the month, and I'm not even open to debate. You can compare all the figures you want with the Centurion side or the other title triumph too. But that would rather miss the point, for me at least. Because context is everything, and the context is a global pandemic. Just look abroad for that context. PSG may not retain the title they usually stroll to with months to spare. Atletico Madrid may win in La Liga. Juventus may not qualify for the Champions League next season. Sporting Lisbon are Portuguese champions for the first time since 2002. Back home, Liverpool have not won more than three league games on the row all season. City, Pep, won 21 on the bounce in all competitions, beginning on the 19th of December at Southampton. So, the context of a season like this during a pandemic cannot be underestimated. City took just 12 points from their first eight games. Really, this shouldn't have been much of a surprise when you consider that the club had no real pre-season, and not surprisingly then picked up a raft of muscle injuries. Covid got the squad hard like it did for many clubs. Team talks were done in small groups, players changed in their own rooms, and were slated for even celebrating a goal by the media and the government. At least two players, Gundogan and Torres, were bedbound with Covid symptoms. Many more tested positive. City were off the pace in November and Pep's own future was in doubt, with no new contract signed. We are struggling, we have to find solutions, Guardiola commented in mid-November. Many of us doubted if he would find them. Ever. City were 13th. The goals total were the club's lowest at that stage since 2006 no one saw that turnaround coming no journalist really thought City's eventual success was inevitable except of course in the Carabao Cup and I wouldn't have understood if Pep had not turned things around if he had not signed a new contract and just left later in the summer a pandemic that cost his mother her life and football for a TV audience in empty stadium meant that many of us felt it was all a bit pointless and perhaps Pep did too that football was played simply for economic reasons, for the benefit of sponsors and stakeholders, and not really to raise the morale of a nation. But raise my morale it did, especially through those dark winter months, and there is one person above all else that deserves my gratitude for that. This was an important title win for a fan base devoid of normality, or the freedoms and escapes life normally provides. And Pep did commit, he did rebuild, and he wiped the floor with the opposition and all without a recognised striker, giving rival managers cause for concern about what the future may hold, when we actually have a striker. Even with that new contract, City then lost at Spurs, and when there was a hint of recovery, they drew it home to West Brom. But everything after that game changed. And it was Pep who reminded the world, and perhaps most importantly us Blues, of his absolute genius. This was a rebuild not built on personnel, but tactics style and from Pep questioning his own principles. A triumph of the system, a new system, that would see City concede nine goals away from home to the point they secured the title. And like any hardened and ageing blue, I remember not just conceding away from home on a regular basis, but going a whole year without winning at all. Peppers built a different team with the same players, a team that dealt with its previous problems and took new ideas into a competition that has always proved their Achilles heel. For example, City are now taking fewer shots than any other period in the Guardiola era. They averaged 15.9 attempts per game in the Premier League, down from 19.6 last season and lower even than the 16.6 in that underwhelming first season. But the other end, they are unrecognisable from a year ago. A winning system, but a man-management masterclass that has seen team morale reach unprecedented heights and seen injuries reduced to an all-time low in the most compacted and chaotic season of them all. Quite simply, Pep mastered pandemic football, as he's mastered many things previous. And there came a point in the season when he knew he'd mastered pandemic football. You could tell. He laughed in the dugout, he was calm in press conferences. It felt like a weight had been lifted off his shoulders. And ours too, in a way. It's as if he already knew what was coming, a satisfaction that he still had it and that he could solve problems a new way. There are a few people around him who deserve praise for this turnaround too, which could be seen as begrudging considering that they, these people, have not covered themselves in glory in recent weeks. Yes, I mean the likes of Ferran, Cheeky and Caldoun. After all, it's largely down to them and the guiding hand of Juan Malilo, Pep's li- latest right-hand man, that can could have this conversation in the first place. They deserve praise of creating the environment to help Pep flourish and to allow me to feel settled. Barcelona may well always be his one true love, but it seems City will run that close. They're the second wife that provides stability, support, hugs and financial support when required. She's the full package, which may explain why many of the other wives envy and openly despise her. But for a who has never stayed more than three years in a post, to think he could treble that at City is selling. He's embraced City and Manchester itself, and the feeling has been mutual, for one half at least. There's a reason Pep was pursued for so long, to get us to this point and beyond. Now he's one match from crowning his achievements, from proving that he is the greatest, without any doubt. And what Pep has called his greatest triumph was all done on the hoof. The schedule meant there was barely time to catch breath, let alone lay out a route and branch change of playing style on the training ground. As soon as one match was finished, it felt like the next one was imminent. Imagine what Pep could do with a bit of downtime. Perhaps the lack of that time actually helped him as he went back to basics and realised quickly that in a season of such ferocity, making the ball do the work again was key to success. There are few managers in history who could have worked out how to do that though, and so quickly. But the true triumph is that this was not done only without striker, but with flaws elsewhere. This has never been a complete squad, if such a thing could ever exist. It may not be City's best squad of the past decade even. We've known this for a while. A new striker, another left-back, perhaps a defensive midfielder too. This squad will be strengthened in the summer, which is a frightening prospect for others. And Pep can take his pandemic football back to the normal world and apply and adapt it further for the future. Us Blues are lucky. We're blessed. What a time to follow this club.
6: Hello, this is Jason Manford, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast.
1: This is the Blue Moon Podcast. But don't worry, it'll be over soon.
2: That was Howard Hawking. We're going to finish with Ask the Panel now and uh, get your questions in for next week on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email us through the website as well. Just go to bluemoonpodcast.com and fill in the email form on the homepage there. Uh, Peter Graham has been in touch on the emails to say, are you concerned about the history between Pep and the referee for the Champions League final? Um, And this had had passed me by. All of a sudden, it's become a thing that that City have got a, a referee that Guardiola doesn't like. Um, I went digging because uh, this is what Guardiola had to say after this referee sent him off at half-time in City's elimination to Liverpool in uh, 2018. That was when, if you remember, that uh, City scored a perfectly legitimate goal on on half-time. It was ruled out for an incorrect offside um, and... Guardiola went around and rave at the referee and was then sent off. Uh, this is what he said in his post-match conference, uh, press conference.
4: In that competition, like last season, no, with Monaco, one-one, Aguero goes one against one double keeper, and it's clear, clear penalty, the same referee, and and happen. This kind of competition, this kind of actions, when the teams are so so equal, the impact is so so big. Uh, I didn't insult him. I just I use penalty. Say, Mateo, pe- I penalty is goal the ball came from Milner. He said, ah, from Milner came the pass? Yes, from Milner. And when it for from Milner, is not offside. But when they decide, I know him from Spain. So, so I could imagine that. I was going to say, were you concerned,
7: obviously you mentioned it was the same referee that didn't give you a penalty against Monaco and gave two penalties
4: against you when you played Napoli, were you concerned when you saw he was... Dead? We spoke about that, we know him, the players felt him. yeah. But please, uh, deserve Liverpool to go through.
1: This is the Blue Moon Podcast.
2: Now,
4: Adam, can we just talk for a second
2: about the tone when he said, we know him from Spain?
3: <laughs> I was going to say
2: that as well. <laughs> yeah,
6: I, I think when there's... A notable history with a referee. It, it deserves to be a talking point. Some people will think that if you, we turn up and play our game, it should be enough. But we know how you know things can hinge in the Champions League and you do need things to go against you. Uh, we've had our luck this season with it as well. And he was also the referee that didn't give Sergio a stonewall Penalty against Gladbach a couple of years go back as well. Uh, the fact that he's got previous with Pep worries me, and I don't usually get caught up on the referee and and who it is. But this time, when it's when it's the final, and you can't afford for mistakes to be made or vendettas to be even in niggling in, in the back of someone's mind, I am worried to be honest, and that's a ridiculous thing to be worried about. But there is previous you, you've evidenced it there as well.
2: Yeah, I if uh, anybody that doesn't follow Twitter or uh, doesn't follow Kieran on Twitter, I absolutely do uh, at at Kier Scrawlings uh, because um, every time there's a referee announcement, we get uh, a, a, a version of the tweet along the lines of this X doesn't give us Y, and
3: uh, <laughs> there
2: is there is clear evidence here, Kieran, that that this
3: chancer doesn't give us diddly squat. Yeah, that douchebag never gives us nothing. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh... This is one of them where, I, I mean, well, it's a good job that playing Chelsea had no um, hot refereeing talking points at the weekend, isn't it? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, what was did Chelsea score three times against us uh, when it was ruled out offside and two penalty decisions as well, one that went us, one that didn't? I, I mean, if you think that the Champions League final is going to go off Incident free, this referee or not, you you know nothing about City. Like <laughs> we are not going to win this straightforward. Just saying that now, it's not going to be easy. Uh, something something mad's going to happen in this game for sure. And now the added kind of spice of this bloke um, with a history of Guardiola, who he knows from Spain, uh, is yeah, it's just added that little bit of uh, a sprinkling of of drama that we probably could have done without. I mean the only good thing about it and the only positive is that we're playing an English team. Um, so without the kind of some of the flamboyance of the European mm. players, um, I think I think City and Chelsea and Pep and Tuchel are both the kind of managers who just want to kind of get the game won yeah. fairly and playing the best football and without kind of trying to influence or interfere. Or be you know like what PSG were trying to do with the referee Mm -hmm. was absolutely disgusting. It was vile what they were trying to do. And you know the referee lost control of that game because they went from surrounding the ref to just basically trying to trying to hospitalise our players, uh, and the referee was nowhere to be seen. So if this game is just two good managers, two good teams trying to play good football, you know, hopefully the referee won't try to steal the spotlight or have you know have things have the headlines about him it would be lovely if it was just a game that was won um you know fairly and legitimately without without any dramas but, I mean, this is City we're talking about, so who am I trying to get? <laughs> yeah, brace, brace yourselves, I think, is the yeah. message, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: right, well, uh, when I started this podcast in 2009, I honestly didn't expect to still be doing it nearly 12 years later, let alone doing it, having seen City winning the title for the fifth time in that run as well. So there's only one way we can celebrate.
3: i tell you what's happening. It's Friday, said they what? <laughs> Champions again. It's Friday, said they what? champions again no
2: really there is only one way we can celebrate and that's by discussing the cult icon that is Eliakim Mangala on this week's Patreon show Uh, everyone who signs up to any of the tiers gets access just go to patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast sign up and you'll also get ad free versions of the main show as well thanks to my guests this week StatCity.co.uk's Adam Carter thank you and city fan Kieran Murray Thanks so much, David. That was great. Don't forget to leave us a rating and a review in all the usual places, and I'll see you again next week. See you then.
1: That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.
0: Selling a little